0: Aloha Kāko, Welcome to the Aloha Friday Conversation. Art, culture, and ideas in Hawaii. I'm Noe Tanigawa, and today I think a fascinating look at how Honolulu's lack of affordable housing is playing out during this pandemic. Remember, over 2,000 unsheltered homeless were tallied on Oahu streets in the last official count. Now, early on into this pandemic, the CDC issued guidelines saying, quote, Unless individual housing units are available, do not clear encampments during community spread of COVID-19. In March, HPD and the city suspended homeless disruptions, but they resumed in May after HPD's Provisional Outdoor Screening and Triage Center, The Post, opened at Keahi Lagoon Park. We were there, remember, with Captain Lambert last month. Up to 150 tents and 200 people can be accommodated there. With those shelters in place, HPD homeless sweeps continue today. That's a problem, according to ACLU Hawaii and over 70 other local organizations and individuals. ACLU Executive Director Joshua Wish contends that with community spread and COVID outbreaks at OCCC and homeless shelters, dispersing unsheltered people endangers the public.
1: And it's gone even beyond that at this point because we've started hearing anecdotes in the last couple of days that, outreach workers and service providers themselves are starting to get cited for going into the parks and beaches, trying to provide services to people who are living there. The other thing I think it's worth remembering is, this isn't the first rodeo on this now. 10,000 citations were issued since the beginning of the pandemic for people violating the emergency rule orders. We know a lot of those citations were for people who were houseless. We know that a number of those people were cited multiple times in the same day. And Hawaii News Now had reported this previously. Maui and Oahu prosecutors have publicly acknowledged that they are now dismissing thousands of those citations because they never should have been issued in the first place because those people were supposed to be exempt from the emergency orders. Why Maui and Oahu prosecutors would now dismiss thousands of citations and HPD would decide to start issuing more citations, which, based on past practice, are just going to get dismissed, that doesn't seem like enforcement. That seems like harassment.
0: Well, in effect, it, it has been something of a strategy to increase pressure on the street to force people to choose to go to the post.
1: Post, we would say, is it's useful street outreach, but it really isn't shelter. It's not the kind of shelter I don't think that the CDC envisioned. And there's one other key piece here, which I think is important not to lose track of, For them to use POST, by them saying, well, it's okay for us to clear the encampments because then we're going to put them in POST, the moment they clear the encampments, they've already violated the CDC guidance because the CDC guidance is quite clear there. It says, don't clear the encampments. And so the moment they do that, they're they're already disregarding what the public health experts are saying from the get-go. And here's the thing, ACLU has never had a problem with voluntary outreach. We want people to get into housing too. We want people to get off the streets and get into transitional housing and then into permanent housing. The problem is when you combine that with a threat of arrest. If you talk to a lot of the service providers, one of the things that they'll tell you is that you need to build up trust and relationships with the people who are living on the streets to help get them services and to get them into long-term permanent housing in a way that's going to be sustainable the moment someone comes and says I'm here to help you and this police officer is here to arrest you if you don't accept my help you break that trust and that's one of the problems if service providers are going out saying we have these other options for you would you come and can describe it and explain it and people want to go that's fantastic it's the threatening them with citation and arrest that is the real problem
0: Joshua Wish Executive Director, ACLU. We asked HPD Chief Susan Ballard to respond, and she wrote, The Centers for Disease Control's guideline discourages the breaking up of encampments when there is no safe place for the homeless to relocate. Fortunately, POST provides free and safe housing accommodations on Oahu for those who choose it. As with other types of offenses, enforcement is based on violation of the law or emergency orders. We had Honolulu Housing Director Mark Alexander in to explain the city's position on these HPD
2: activities. We call them enforcements because we're enforcing the law, right? Whether it's stored property, park closure, sidewalk nuisance. And so definitely it is one of the options. So when the police and our department of facility maintenance does an enforcement, we always have outreach beforehand with the outreach providers. And then at the time of the enforcement, people are still given the option of going right away to post, or if there's a shelter open, which is more rare, it's a little harder to get into the shelters a lot of times right away. So usually it's post. We offer them post and the transportation. And some of them will take it. Not many, to be frank, but it's always there. So we think, it's very important to have this option. It makes it easier for the police because the police don't want to enforce on people and not have some option that's readily available. And sometimes people do choose at the last minute to go. Some encampments we have allowed to stay. Now, why? Because those encampments are usually larger ones where people have agreed to implement physical distancing, to wear masks, and to follow guidelines around hygiene and sanitation, and in fact, some of those areas we've allowed 24-hour bathroom availability. Okay, so where is that? Waimanalo Beach Park is one of the areas, and then over in the Waianae District Park area.
0: And so the idea is that um, there is always a place, according to CDC guidelines. I think I wrote them down. They say. Unless individual housing units are available, do not clear encampments during community spread of COVID-19, which is now, compassionate disruptions are continuing, right? Yes.
2: And the rationale is? The government has to always balance different things. And as you're aware, CDC guidance is just guidance. It does not have the force of law or ordinance. So we take it seriously, especially the spirit of it. And so... Uh, Other areas we've had to enforce because they are not keeping physical distancing, they're not wearing masks, they're impeding public movement, which is not fair to the public and dangerous to themselves and to the public. So we try to balance this and then we work with the outreach teams, HPD, of course, and PIC, Partners in Care.
0: Mark Alexander, Honolulu Housing Director, Mr. Alexander mentioned Partners in Care, PIC, OAHU's coordinator for homeless services. PIC executive director Laura Thielen says both homeless and care providers have been put on notice by HPD.
3: We have been informed that they will continue to follow the, the uh, lead of Chief Ballard and the mayor's office in keeping parks and beaches closed. Um, and there will be citations to anyone at this point, whether they are houseless or not, if they were in the parks. And at this point, that also includes providers of services. So they have all been notified that unfortunately, if they do go and try and provide services, If they are approached by HPD, they will probably be cited.
0: Laura, you might be the person closest to this. What does it do to the population?
3: Most of these citations that have been given out over the last several months have been basically thrown out. So not only is it a waste of time, more importantly, right now, we are looking at putting people in direct jeopardy of interacting with more people. We are displacing them from where providers know that they are. So if we come in contact with somebody and we know that they are at a high risk for contracting COVID and then they're swept we may not be able to find them again and we need to keep that contact tracing accessible so that we can reach out to folks who may be sick. What we are going to be focusing on is working directly with people out on the streets wherever they are and getting them straight into housing. Um, I'd hate to say this is a silver lining but The urgency of getting folks into housing uh, will hopefully uh, work for many people so that they can quarantine in their own home. And we can utilize this federal funding coming to Hawaii in a way that we've never seen before. Um, And that will just be to the benefit of our entire community if we can really address the issue of homelessness in our current epidemic and address the need of shelter as well as care
0: You're talking about using uh, currently available COVID funds to um, secure shelter for people in the interim as well as possibly into the future.
3: Yes, we're looking at using those funds to get people into a safe environment as quickly as possible and then to wrap services around them. It's the old plan and it's a good plan of housing first. Let's house people and then we can wrap services around them so that they can stay housed long into the future.
0: And will the sweeps continue?
3: My understanding is that that probably will continue. Um, and, and we're hoping that those can stop at least at a minimum during this spike in cases. Because not only does it put folks who are houseless at jeopardy, it also puts our HPD staff in jeopardy of being in contact with more and more people. We want to abide by the laws, but at the same time, we don't want to move people unnecessarily.
0: We've been hearing from Laura Thielen, Executive Director of Partners in Care. One of those partners is Hawaii Health and Harm Reduction Center, H3RC. They are a key street service provider. Executive Director Heather Lusk says when COVID hit, everything changed for people on the street as well. In addition, the first round of prison releases led to emergency needs for shelter and for services.
4: We were blessed to work with a donor. So we started a program called Cell Connect, specifically for folks that had been released within you know, the past year to come and get a free cell phone. And with that came a light-touch navigation where every two weeks or so, my folks would check in just to see if they needed any help getting connected to housing or to medical care or other resources. We ordered 200, and we're almost out already. Um, and we found really that folks that were already having a hard time connecting to resources had that much harder, given so many things were closed because of COVID or had gone online or had shortened or changed the way you access them. So, yeah, we're, we're really grateful that um, this donor came forward and specifically wanted these, these resources to be supporting a, a cell phone connect program. A lot of the Department of Human Services has made things easier online, um, and people really can connect to most of the benefits and services they need, whether it's their Mm. probation officer, whether it's signing up all through a smartphone these days. Thanks for
0: pointing that out, Heather. So what happens to people? I mean, where do they stay? Do their families want them to come back
4: from OCCC and stay at their house? yeah you know what we've seen is that some folks are are blessed to actually have where they can have a room where they can quarantine in place if they don't know their status Um, but we also have a lot of folks that have multi-generational homes and it's just not been an option for them i know there's a lot of providers trying to scramble because most of our shelters are full and as you mentioned some people's families are worried we are looking at things like hotels can we put people there Um, we have a couple units coming online in a couple of weeks so do others But I'll be honest, knowing it's never going to be enough to, to, to meet the demand. Heather, the
0: eviction moratorium's on until August 31st, but that 600 plus up
4: ended. Yeah. When I look at the daily vacancies across our continuum, which by the way, we do collect them every day. They're centralized at Partners in Care's website. There's only a few beds in all of our our shelters island wide. So that's why I know the health department's working with the city and county to really up their hotel rooms. There's a couple of hotels that should be coming online soon. I'm aware of four right now the department of health uses and they're trying to get more rooms um, both for people that may need to quarantine until they get their negative test result or they hit that 14 days but even more so for all these folks that are positive and have nowhere to go especially for these folks as i mentioned that have been in multi-generational homes or houseless um, and really need to have a place to stay we're currently full at the tqic
0: right the temporary quarantine and isolation center
4: that's why the health department's actively trying to get more places online and what are you seeing on the street around the T Quick there in the
0: Evilay area?
4: Word travels fast, so people are really aware of the clusters at both O Triple C and at Sumner. Uh, Last Friday, a a coordinated effort of outreach providers, including H3RC, went out to try to find folks that might have stayed at Sumner in the past to uh, to encourage them to get testing. So we really are trying to get folks tested that might have been either exposed, whether it's OCCC or in any congregate setting. But At the same time, people are scared. Some were afraid to go back to IHS to get tested because that's where they heard the outbreak was, right? So one thing we're, we're really seeing, uh, Noe, is that the CARES line, the 832-3100, that has been coordinated now, not just for the crisis line, but now it's also the access to substance use line. Um, and they're also taking some of the COVID calls to help triage uh, when folks might need a higher level of care. So I think within the next week, we'll really see that resource come online. Right now, for, for uh, prisoners who are going to be released, what kind of assistance is there? yeah so for women um we're really lucky to have fernhurst um, the ywca uh, you may have heard it almost closed earlier this summer but um, due to community support is, is back open that is the only kind of formal reentry housing program that we have we have lots of wonderful faith-based communities doing things clean and sober and substance use treatment doing things to try to connect with people when they come out but we need a more robust coordinated reentry system so the who we I'm part of is we're trying to kind of braid together what's out there. Which if you go to hhrc.org slash we tried to put some resources there for somebody who may be re-entering our community. Just some basic ones, like how do you get healthcare? What if you need housing? Just to try to help people connect because there's not a formal re-entry system. I don't know the process of, forget re-entry. I don't even know the process of exiting. Gosh, well, cause my understanding is it's really fragmented knowing. So for example, if somebody is on probation then it would be judiciary and the probation officers have that connection. And then if they are paroled, then that's going to be the Hawaii paroling authority, which is kind of under PSD, whereas judiciary is at the state, right? And then if you're talking about somebody who is released from OCCC because of something like in and, you know, then that is actually, you know, public safety. So, I agree with you. When I try to do a, um, I tried to do a graphic myself, Noe, because I was trying to. I have a degree in criminal justice, by the way, so I was like, Oh, I can figure this out. Oh my gosh, it's so confusing because it's sometimes they're at the city level, right? Sometimes they're at the state level. Sometimes they're at the judiciary. Sometimes they're at the polling authority. So it all depends on why they're being released, and the mechanism through which they got released. Um, again, if they term out, then the public defender might be involved. I, I'm, I, if you figure it out, I would love to hear, because I myself am <laughs> still
0: trying to figure out. And so people could conceivably just
4: walk out of there without a place to stay? Um, my interest, yes. Um, depending again on which track or pathway they're getting released on.
0: Tell me, what is available now that IHS Men's Shelter is closed?
4: They are still using the Sumner as an isolation and quarantine center. So far, we yeah. have been able to, at least every homeless person that we're aware of with COVID, we've been able to offer an alternative to the street. The challenge is, is that we know there's many more you know, we that either don't know their status or we haven't been able to test yet, and how do we get to them so that we can stop this community spread? And that includes folks that might be coming out that don't have a place to land. Um, I know that they're trying to expand the post, the more hotels are coming online, but even then we still need to do a medical triage because we're finding you Noe know, that some of these folks that um, have COVID, they may seem okay the first couple of days, but we see around day five to eight, folks can get really sick and can turn very quickly. You're running against that same thing of needing to test more and get results faster. We are. Yeah, we are. And we're really lucky that you know our state lab is turning around test results in 12 to 24 hours, but their capacity is also severely limited as well. And we're grateful to our partners at our private labs who are working hard to try to get turnaround times. I don't know if you've been tested for COVID. No, I have. And it's a very scary few days as you're waiting to know what your test results are and Not only that, we're supposed to treat everybody as if they have it. So the quicker we get test results, it really does help the whole system. We're looking at how can we help outreach workers and others learn some basics of contact tracing so that we can continue to help the Department of Health and and quickly identifying when we find someone who's positive, who else around them should get tested so that we can try to stop that, that community spread. Are you feeling like there are the
0: resources necessary right now to do the testing and get the results quickly enough?
4: We're getting there. Um, We're really grateful to Project Vision. They got a contract with the city to integrate testing into their mobile unit. They've been fantastic, but we still need more mobile or responsive. You know, you can imagine, so we find out somebody is COVID positive. We find out that there's people around them. How can we, in that moment, bring testing to those folks so that they don't go back into their community? You know, it's kind of stopping it right there, what I call testing on demand. So we're moving towards that to get a system where um, we would be able to hopefully provide texting on demand or at least tell them where to go on demand. But these are scary times. The more we can bring services to people, we're finding they're more effective. And I think that makes sense all around. Mm -hmm.
0: Experienced voice of Heather Lusk head of H3RC, the Hawaii Health and Harm Reduction Center. I did speak with Dara Kauhane of Project Vision. They're doing mobile COVID testing for unsheltered all over this island. Uh, Ms. Kauhane says they have not found any positive cases on the street thus far.
5: Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from the Kahala Hotel and Resort on Oahu, with a message to stay safe and to protect one another and oneself, committed to the safety of Ohana and community. Kahalaresort.com Each week, New Dimensions explores the social, political, scientific, environmental, and spiritual frontiers with some of today's foremost social innovators, thinkers, scientists, and creative artists.
3: Hello, I'm Dr. Merlin Sheldrake, author of Entangled Life. Next time on New Dimensions, I'll be talking about how fungi make our worlds, change our minds, and shape our futures.
1: Sunday morning at 11.
0: Crane Park in Kapahulu has seen better times. 30 to 40 people live in and around the park now. They're clustered in groups around the pavilion. One man plays an ukulele, kind of Tiny Tim's style. And on the park side, I met Jonathan, 42, from Kalihi. He was a transporter at VIP Trans, but with medical issues and bills, he couldn't keep his job and ended up on the street. Now his job wants him back, but his medical condition has
6: worsened. The cops been bothering us a lot, the sweeps and everything, and just recently um, they just arrested me for uh, four, four warrants I had, it's all park-related, and what I- What do you
4: mean park-related?
6: Um, being, like, being in the park after 10 o'clock, um, having too much um, things in the park and stuff like that, basically giving an arrest, me and what, three other people? um no two other people and for just to eliminate all our things for for me i only have one wagon that's it and when they came they had they, i had my warrants they, they arrested me to only go in for you know, a few hours and only to come out to have a court date came back here i lost everything
0: I mean the authorities had picked everything up
6: yeah, who, whoever got arrested that day.
0: That day, did you have warning that uh, a sweep was coming?
6: Nope, it wasn't scheduled, it was an illegal sweep. Oh, Usually there's a website that we look at every every day just to see what's going on. And there were nothing posted that for that morning.
0: Were there service providers here offering you alternatives
6: yeah, there, there are some people that come, yeah, like of um, IHS, outreach people. Uh-huh. But I had a bad, bad experience with shelters. I went through that already.
0: Why did a shelter not work for you?
6: Uh, for my bad experience was, sanitation-wise. See, one night, I went to IHS, the first night, okay? And then during that night, I had to go use the bathroom. I went to walk to the restroom, and I, I smelled somebody in number two. And I was like, whoa, getting stronger and stronger. So when I got finally to the restroom, the stalls that had the toilets the crap was just sitting on the ground and nobody came and cleaned it it was sitting there for I don't know how long I left there's bed bugs and stuff like that so but being here with everybody like I know how everybody is and I take care of myself and the best I can and it's been it's been re- really tough and rough out here like kid yeah, this past week like I just told you they took everything they even took my backup medication that i had lucky one of my, my friends over here well my family members over here he videotaped it after we left and they threw away it, everything it's on facebook right now
0: so you were arrested
6: just to leave here for a few hours to get a court day and come back and, and everything is gone the only thing i have left from what i had before going in is just a carpet that i i you know i I lay my mattress on and everything.
0: And what did you do though? Do you have a tent now? Where'd you get everything? How did you get?
6: I have um, basically whatever people we've just been giving me. I, I have basically for right now, nothing. Whatever I have right now is what I have. I've been just staying inside the park every night, right in the front of the pavilion.
7: You
0: worked with outreach workers before? I or- had
6: two workers from, one from outreach and one from Kali I I now. So they they were, were. What were they doing for you? They were supposedly looking for housing for me. Okay. And when and was this? This is was in December. Okay. Just put it this way. They said, until you get a solid source of income, then you get your housing. So when is that? Oh, it's so sad to say that. Yeah, I just thought about it just now, whatever I have. That's two what Whatever I have in my life right now. Oh my God crazy. I lost I lost everything every I just thought of what just now Wow, that's crazy.
0: Jonathan of Kalihi has experienced what so many fear. Close the discussion about HPD's policy of homeless disruptions with perspective from Scott Morishige, the governor's coordinator on homelessness.
8: I know for the state, we've taken the position that we're temporarily suspending enforcements that might impact homeless individuals with our state Department of Transportation, Department of Land and Natural Resources, because we know that shelter capacity is limited, and we also want to be very mindful of the CDC guidance. But at the same time, we know that HPD has a very um, important responsibility to keep the public safe. And we want to respect the decisions that they're making and kind of work with them. And we also want to do what we can to minimize disruption of encampments during this time. So we're trying to do what we can on our own part, but also work with HPD, work with the other parts of the system, knowing that they have an obligation to enforce the laws and rules in front of them we're gonna to continue to work with them to make sure as they do so, that our outreach workers and our state staff are able to continue to make connections to homeless people and continue to connect them to the resources that are available. But I, I do have concern when I hear stories shared from service providers about homeless individuals that are cited repeatedly for the same violation, that is something that's concerning. But I also know that you know HPD has to apply the law equally, so we also want to respect the judgment calls that they're making out in the field.
0: Do you think there was a net increase of homeless on the street as a result of previous prison releases that we had here?
8: I don't think we have any hard numbers to show that, but I think anecdotally, I've heard a number of people make that observation. I think what's been happening as people are moved out of the parks and moved out of other areas, undoubtedly homelessness has become more visible you can more clearly see those who are experiencing unsheltered homelessness right in front of you versus in the past, I think people may have been able to be in these parks or closed areas where they're not visible to all of us. I think that shows even more why it's really critical that we continue to support the homeless service providers and the work that they do so that they can do that work safely and that they're able to continue to make these personal connections with people because that's really what it's going to take for us to continue to see forward movement. And I mean, just anecdotally, when I talked to Laura from Partners in Care, and I talked to folks from Bridging the Gap on the neighbor islands, both of them, have reported that we've seen more people placed into permanent housing in the month of April during the pandemic than we had prior to that. So that's a positive sign to me that despite everything going on, we're seeing actually more permanent housing placements. We need to continue to have that focus.
0: You know, in other cities, of course, they've commandeered hotels and other buildings to put people in so they could isolate safely. Are we in that process?
8: Those conversations are happening, and I know that, you know, we're looking at how we can increase the space available for isolation and quarantine on Oahu. I think we also want to be mindful that if we create a temporary place for people to go, that we don't forget that the ultimate goal is to get them connected to something stable in the long term, right? Other cities like San Francisco right now is reading an article, they have all of these people that they've transitioned to hotels, and now the question is, well, where you move these people to once the agreement for the hotel ends right and so i think we want to be mindful of that and we're not just looking at the short term but we're looking what are the opportunities for people in the long term one of the great things is that partners in care has this landlord engagement program where they're doing exactly that they're reaching out to realtors landlords property managers building this inventory of units and as these increased federal resources come online Ideally, we'll be able to pair the subsidies that come in through these federal programs with the housing inventory that um, Partners in Care is identifying. So that's one thing. The other thing is that we need to continue to build out our mental health system so that for those who are really sick, who need more intensive treatment or more intensive personal care, we have units that are able to do that
0: really is personal relationships, both on the landlord end and on the other end.
8: This work really comes down to people, right?
0: (laughs) Yeah. At this point, do you think we've had a net increase in homeless on the street as a result of COVID-19?
8: We don't have exact numbers, but like I said, I think that homelessness is increasingly more visible. We're prepared when we have our next point in time count to potentially see an uptick in the numbers for a variety of different factors. only do we have this public health pandemic going on but we're also seeing a real adverse impact to our economy where a lot of the resources at least state general fund resources that previously supported a lot of these efforts is potentially at risk moving forward so I think we need to do what we can now because we're not sure if we're going to have the same amount of state resources moving forward now though we have federal money coming in in the short term That money is very time-limited. I think that's also why we need to continue to have the focus on what we can do now and continue to think outside the box about what we can do with the resources we have. We may not have additional state resources coming to the table anytime soon because not only do we have this public health crisis, we also have an economic crisis, and we need to be very mindful of that. The one silver lining in all of this is we really are seeing greater coordination, greater collaboration. People are really actively working together, talking to each other several times a day, calling each other, whether it's night or weekend. Everybody just doing what they can to serve the need in the community, because we all see that there's a great need in the community right now, and we're all willing to do what we need to do to come together to meet it. And I I think that's such a positive thing to see that happening.
0: Scott Morishige is the Governor's Coordinator on Homelessness. There are calls in this community for leadership, oversight. Meanwhile, on the ground, there is service leadership every day. Community groups, churches, individuals online, people who make that extra phone call or just drive up and offer food and clothing. In Hawaii, it's a kakou thing.
5: Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from the Honolulu Museum of Art, committed to the community's health with a temporary museum closure, and offering digital experiences at honolulumuseum.org. Tune in to H.P.R. 1 on Saturday night for Hawaii Public Radio presents Blue Note Virtually Live, performances from the Blue Note Hawaii stage. This week, it's an encore broadcast of Henry Capono and his band celebrating the timeless classic songs of the beloved duo Cecilio and Capono. And we'll hear an interview with Henry as well. That's this Saturday at 6 p.m. Tune in to HPR One or listen on your smart speaker. Support for The Conversation comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors, the Kahala Hotel and Resort, and PCAT, Pacific Center for Advanced Technology Training.
0: A kako thing is something we do together, and choral singing is certainly that. Hawaii Youth Opera Chorus, HYOC, brings kids together year-round to belt their hearts out, normally. But this summer's opera, of course, was online. A video production of Laiei Kawai, a romance about the princess of Paliuli. HYOC general manager Malia Ka'ai says they had to spin on a dime to get the whole thing going. (laughs) Rob Yos and Angela Abinales, HYOC veterans and fully plugged in young people say, Boy, opera on video was a challenge.
3: The internet lag is kind of bad. Um, like, you cannot really sing in sync. We did a few projects where people would send in their own recordings, but you can't, like, sing live as a choir. It doesn't really work out. What else, Rob, that we might never have suspected?
8: So I recorded all my audio in, like, the closet. Like, it's, it, all the walls, all cement. And then there's the washing machine, so I just put my laptop on the washing machine, and I had to schedule... When I recorded my audio with when my mom was doing laundry.
0: A lot of people don't realize that HYOC members go around with a song in their heads at all times.
3: Doing performing arts online and virtually is a really new concept and so the fact that we were able within three weeks to put on a whole opera was kind of mind-blowing and I guess one really big thing that I took away was like the the power in numbers because Obviously, like one person probably couldn't put on an opera, and especially one virtually. And so working together and like using our common passion and love for music was, I guess, what helped the process go a lot easier.
0: Malia, uh, what was it like for you veteran opera people behind the
3: scenes? You know, because it was all new for us as well. We were all learning new skills. None of us had a sense of how to do this. And we all knew that singing together on Zoom sucked that's the challenge that the internet brings is that separation so those emotional harmonic resonance things that happens when you're standing right next to other performing artists how voices blend with one another that's completely not available and um, we've learned from the youth opera chorus that we didn't realize how important that community experience of being able to hear your fellow singers because it's what helps you to maintain your pitch. It's what helps trigger those memory synapses of, oh, yes, this is what the next word is. So the students, it was all on them, and every one of them had to develop that.
0: Maliaka'ai, Rob Yost, and Angela Abinellis singers, all of them. The Hawaii Youth Opera Chorus Fall Session starts in September. You can find out more on their Facebook page. Belting out songs in close quarters has been flagged as a virus spreader in these pandemic times. But what do you do if your life's work revolves around this now potentially deadly activity? If you're Susan Dupree, choral director of the Windward Choral Society and Kona Choral Society, you head up to Kilauea Military Camp, and that's where we talk to her, preparing for a four-day hike up Mauna Loa. It's her 23rd trek up there, and this time it's a biggie in preparation for a grand new project.
7: I'm trying to be a choral conductor with a muted chorus. Talk <laughs> about a learning curve. But I see them on Zoom, I see their care, I see their passion, I see their desire. And I, my, what, what I had to get over was, do I still have something to offer as a choral director? And I realized, yeah, you do, you do it's a way forward into the unknown and um, what's exciting is that we have about 70 percent of our singers who are wanting to take this incredible journey. I want to share my screen with you to show you what we're going to be doing. We're going to be looking forward. the beginning beginning. and that's how we are going to if it's one year two years from now we don't know it could be six months from now I don't think so but um, we are going to be working towards the future for a live concert and so we're going to learn it online because it's the safe and prudent thing that we need to do we got to keep the music going I can get frustrated that the singers are slouching and when they're singing, they're on their couches, their legs are crossed and they got a cup of coffee or a glass of wine in their hand and they're singing. (laughs) A lot of them can't sing, right? Because their family situation, they're in a a room shared with other people, but I see them mouthing. We're still learning. We are not concert driven right now. We don't have to learn our notes to get ready for a concert that's going to be on such and such a date. So we have the time and this incredible opportunity. Sopranos, forget learning your line. Pay attention to what the tenors are doing. Pay attention to what the percussion is doing right here. Allow yourself to let go of your own part and listen to something else. I remember when I was in grad school and I was learning the Bach B minor mass and the um, director said, uh, well, you have to learn all the parts of the Bach B minor mass. I was singing sex and soprano. I'm like... There's no way I can learn all the parts, but hard work, right? My ears and my perspective and my embrace, I, I will go to my deathbed and someone could ask me, what was your most incredible musical moment? I'll say performing March 16, 17, 18, 1994, Bach B Minor Mass with the Westminster Choir. Because it had such a profound fact, because we had the time and we were the requirement of learning the whole thing. We've got this window of opportunity right now to study the whole score, to listen to the whole part of the music.
0: Gee, Susie, I'm just so glad we caught you before this Mauna Loa cut you, this trek you're about to head off on. You're making time for your inner life.
7: I talk about Mauna Loa in rehearsals. Gosh, it's massive. It's the alpha and the omega. It is the beginning and the end. And my experience often is a form of inspiration. If we're working on a particular musical work, I'll sometimes stop and use the imagery that that I experience on Mauna Loa to help them get a better idea about what we're singing about. You can be walking up the trail, have one foot on a flow from 1984 and one foot on a flow that is 100,000 years old. And there's every single color of lava up there. <laughs> Red, black, blue, green. And I remember picking up a teeny tiny rock. This is the most massive mountain in the world. And I took, picked up a little piece of lava. And I go, this is you, this tiny little thing in the whole span. Mama Lo is going to be there way after us. But I said, I'm still a part of this mountain. This little piece of lava is still on this mountain. And even though I'm tiny, even though it seems insignificant, it's still a part of it. That's profound for me that this mountain reminds me of our fragileness and reminds us that we're still a part of a massive collective whole. And um, so I'm very, very, very grateful.
0: It's a little like choral singing, isn't it? (laughs) Choral director Susan Dupree, both Kona and Windward Choral Societies welcome new members at their fall 2020 open house. Find contacts with this story on HPR's conversation page. This, by the way, is the Bach B Minor Mass. Maybe you haven't been to Waikiki lately. That's why we decided to go. Educator, cultural practitioner, Hinala Moana Kalu, and I crossed Kalakaua at the Hyatt Regency, walking directly toward the Dukanamoku statue. In the bright sunlight, we turned Eva, and there, on a low platform, we encountered four massive stones. Kumuhina says they're called kapai mahu. The
9: original... Documentation of Kapai Mahu is that they were four healers that came from Tahiti. They were bisexual they were male, but their voice, their mannerisms and everything about them was quite the opposite. What do we call that in Hawaiian? We call it Mahu. This understanding of some sort of gray area in the middle where you aren't really male-like, you, but you aren't really female-like or somewhere in between. Or that you're born one thing, but your, your whole persona is something else. We have an understanding for that. It is a rather general word, mahu. Interesting. Where did
0: um, they come from? They came
9: from the lands known as Kahiki, or the lands of Tahiti. Whether you call it Tahiti proper, or anybody coming from outside of the Pai Aina, outside of the archipelago, They were the lands of Kahiki. The accounts of their various healing skills and ability, their knowledge of medicine and prayers is what is recorded in this history. They were loved by the people for what they did for them. And they were honored by the uh, erecting of the stones in their honor. For several nights and, and days, they stayed there praying and imbuing the stones with their mana so that the people of Oahu could have this In perpetuity,
0: the stones are still there. Kapai Mahu on Kuhio Beach. And a film animation about their stories now touring international film festivals. Kumuhina, ever the educator, narrates in Olelo Niihau, the only unbroken form of Hawaiian language. The Czech Republic, Atlanta, and Ottawa film festivals are coming up, with most entries streaming online. You can see it there.
5: Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from Matson, a company of people dedicated to keeping supplies flowing for businesses and communities throughout the islands since 1882, Matson.com. On the next Science
8: Friday, there is no guidebook for how to have a baby during a pandemic, and new parents are realizing there's still a lot we don't know about how COVID, pregnancy, and childbirth
5: mix.
3: Having a newborn during a pandemic is flying blind.
5: Navigating pregnancy and childbirth in the age of COVID on Science Friday from
8: WNYC Studios.
5: Starting this afternoon at 1. Support for The Conversation comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors Ekahi Health, Ulupono Initiative, and The Hub Coworking Hawaii.
0: Think of Hawaii's skyline uh, outside Honolulu. What would we be without the Lissom Hawaiian Coconut Palm or NIU? Impossible banners. Niu say so much just by living. But they're also food, shelter, and raw materials for cultures around the world. And that's what a new group of scientists, storytellers, agriculturalists, and social innovators are celebrating through NIU Now webinars. Indrajut Gunasekara coordinates the Ulu-Niu project. It's a community food movement that's based out there at UH West Oahu. In the last Niu Now webinar, he tackled modern society's primary gripe against coconut palms head on, using examples from his homeland, Sri Lanka.
10: The coconut palm is everywhere and nobody's worried about coconut is falling and killing them or falling on the head. It is the function of how to maintain the coconut tree and when harvest, and what not to harvest in the tree, and the style of a life that we lived over 3,000 years. We never worried about coconut falling on the heads, and trees are all over the place, everywhere. The honorary practice is to decorate the offering, and the decoration is found to be always with the coconut leaf. This is the young leaf of the palm, that white color symbolically representing the Nirvana But the form uses six different stages of coconut leaf, from the oldest leaf to oldest leaf that represent the brownest color to the youngest leaf that represent that light white. That's how our connection from life to the dead, we need this form. When the time I left Sri Lanka to come to Hawaii, my mom knew One of the gifts she gave me was coconut. When she married my father and moved with my father's family, she came from 50 miles away. Her mother gave her coconut to grow when she came in and it was a coconut passed through her family. I had the honor to learning and carrying that tradition. I didn't bring it here, but I knew that coconut variety. I collected over 3,000 coconut here. Every year I collect somewhere around 100 coconut, just for eating and growing. So every time when I collect coconut, I start to look for that particular coconut. Because since I bring, bring it here, I had the sense I would able to find this coconut here. And to be very specific, that coconut, it has a pointed end. This is the unique characteristic of this coconut. Three years ago, I found the tree. It was in Manoa. This was like a four years ago. Then I went back to find the coconut. When we started to do the nursery, when we started really growing coconut, so we contacted the owner to ask, can we come and pick up the seed coconut? When I contact them, it was six months after they chopped the tree down. We cannot keep the tree, coconut is dangerous. Oh, people is, are complaining. So the tree was gone, but I was fortunate. I was able to get the last remaining coconut out of their collection.
0: Mm. Indrajit Gunasekara showed us that coconut, and it has a surrealistically long pointed tail. New culture is rich, and it runs deep. UH West O'ahu, Ma'o Farms, the Malama Learning Center, and DLNR are all in on this. New Now happens on 4th Sundays at 11. The next is August 30th, and you've got to contact Chelsea at Ma'o Farms if you want in on that. We'll be sure to post her email with this show. On a
3: coconut island, I'd like to be a castaway with you.
0: Come on, it's Aloha Friday, right? <laughs> Thanks so much for your company. We certainly love to hear from you. All week long, in fact, call our Talkback line and leave us your comments. That's 808-792-8217. You can also email us at talkback at hawaiipublicradio.org, post comments on Facebook at the Conversation HPR, or tweet us, HI Conversation. There is that conversation page on the HPR website. If you want to check back on these shows, we're posting a lot of information there, too. This program is produced by Lillian Zhang, Harrison Patino, and Jason Ubai. Thank you so much. And this theme music comes courtesy of Gypsy 808. I'm Noe Tanigawa. Be sure to join us Monday when Katherine Cruz picks up the conversation. Until then, let's take care of each other. Happy Aloha Friday.